When Rebecca Zahau was found hanging naked from a balcony at her boyfriend's mansion, it was ruled a suicide. But the bizarre circumstances around her death suggest something much more sinister. We've come across a lot of strange cases, but none is as mysterious as this one. Let's start with the events of Wednesday, July 13th, 2011. On that morning, Rebecca was found hanging from a second-story balcony at the Spreckles Mansion in Coronado, California. Her boyfriend's younger brother, Adam Shacknai, is the one who found her. Here's what he had to say. At 6.45 a.m., Adam woke up in the guest house and masturbated. Yes, he actually said that. Now, you might be asking why he would tell police about that. Well, let's just say some people think the answer to that question could be critical to the case, and we'll come back to that later, but for now, let's keep going. After his solo session, Adam says he might have taken a shower, then he headed across the courtyard to the main house for coffee. That's when he saw Rebecca hanging naked from the balcony of the second-story guest room. At the sight of her, he called 911, ran to the kitchen to grab a knife, then climb up onto a broken patio table to cut her down before trying CPR. Emergency, what are you reporting? Yeah, uh, I, I got a girl hung herself in the guest house of, uh, it's on Ocean Boulevard across from the hotel, same place that you came and got the kid yesterday. Okay, so what is the address? I'm not sure, uh, 19, I'm in the back house, it's 1928 something. Sir, is she yeah. still alive? I don't know. Okay, uh, help is coming right now, okay? And Petey, you're on the way? Yes, we are. Okay. And you're right there with her? Did you cut her down? Yes, I did. Okay. Just stay with me. When paramedics got there, they found Rebecca naked with a rope tied and a noose around her neck. Her hands were tied behind her back, and her feet were bound together. A long-sleeved blue t-shirt was wrapped three times over the noose and around her neck. Adams said the sleeves were stuffed in her mouth like a gag before he pulled them out to start CPR. The other end of the rope had been attached to the leg of the bed in the guest room. Paramedics got to the scene just before 7 that morning. Based on the rigor mortis in her jaw at the scene, the medical exam put Rebecca's time of death around 3 a.m. The next call Adam made was to his brother, telling him Rebecca killed herself. Before we go any further, you need some background on the people involved. Rebecca Zahau was born one of six children in the Chin Hills of Myanmar near the border of India. She grew up in Germany and Nepal. When she was 22, she and her older sister Mary moved to the United States with family. They settled near Kansas City, Missouri. About a year after relocating to the States, Rebecca married her longtime boyfriend, Neil Nalepa. The couple met at the Calvary Chapel Bible College in Austria when they were teenagers. Together, they moved to Phoenix, Arizona in 2007. By 2009, the marriage was on the rocks and Rebecca was working as a technician at an eye clinic in nearby Scottsdale. That's where she fell in love with a patient, Jonah Shacknai. At 54, Jonah was 22 years older than Rebecca. He was also the billionaire CEO and founder of Medix Pharmaceuticals. That's the company that makes Dysport, which is basically the other Botox. Jonah has a brother, Adam. He's six years younger. He lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Adam works as a tugboat captain on the Mississippi River. He's done that since 1997. Now keep that fact in mind for later. It's an intense job with 28 day shifts on and 28 off. Now that kind of 
a schedule makes it hard to keep up relationships, but nevertheless, Adam says he's been dating the same woman for 20 years. They're not married, and they live in separate homes, but only a few blocks away from each other. Unlike his little brother, Jonah was a fan of marriage. He has two ex-wives and seemed to be considering Rebecca for wife number three. As the story goes, by the end of his first appointment at the eye doctor, he asked Rebecca to dinner. Their first date was in October 2009. Jonah had three kids from his two previous marriages. The two kids from his first wife were teenagers when he started dating Rebecca. To say they resented her would be an understatement. According to her sister, they were openly rude to Rebecca, and to make things worse, Jonah didn't do a lot to stop them. He also had a six-year-old son named Max from his second wife, Dina. Unlike his half-siblings, little Max loved Rebecca, and she adored him right back. That didn't sit too well with Dina, but despite the family tension, Rebecca and Jonah kept on dating. In March 2010, she even quit her job to move in with him. And you might be wondering whatever happened to her husband, Neil. Legally speaking, they were still married when she met Jonah, but they officially divorced in February 2011. In June 2011, Rebecca and Jonah traveled from Phoenix to Coronado to spend the summer in Jonah's beach house, the historic Spreckles Mansion. You need to hear about this house. The Spreckles Mansion was built in the early 1900s by San Diego's richest citizen, John D. Spreckles. It sits on hundreds of acres of prime beachfront property on Coronado Island, right across the street from the Pacific Ocean. Coronado is a charming little city just a ferry ride away from San Diego. The house itself measures almost 11,000 square feet with 10 bedrooms and 11 bathrooms. There was also a pool, a spa, a separate guest house, and a four-car garage with caretaker apartments. To say it's a nice place to live is like saying the universe is sort of big. But if you think Rebecca's summer at the mansion was going to be nothing but lunches by the pool and shopping trips, you'd be wrong. According to her sister Mary, Rebecca was more like a glorified nanny rather than the trophy girlfriend Jonah's ex-wives and kids treated her like. And it's not like she could avoid them. Dina had a summer place in Coronado too, just down the street in a mansion of her own. Rebecca spent most of her time taking care of Max at Jonah's house, plus doing errands and sometimes even cleaning the mansion. In her diary, she complained about not feeling loved and appreciated for everything she was doing to try and prove herself to the family. Ultimately, Jonah's family would prove to be her undoing in one way or another. That brings us to mystery number two, because you see, this case is actually two mysteries all wrapped up in each other. To tell you about this one, we have to go back two days before Rebecca's death to Monday, July 11th. On that day, Jonah went to the gym after dropping his two older kids off at the airport for a visit to their mom back east. That left Rebecca and Max at home with her 13-year-old sister, Zena. Zena had just gotten into town for a visit the night before. The three of them were planning to go to the beach later that day. Max was playing by himself when it happened. A loud crash rang out. At the time, Rebecca was in a bathroom downstairs. Zena was taking a shower in another bathroom. Moments later, Rebecca found Max on the floor in the foyer near the grand staircase. His scooter was on his leg and a few soccer balls were scattered around him. There was also a broken chandelier near his body. The boy was still alive, but barely. 
According to Rebecca, he said only one word, Ocean. That's the dog's name. Later, another officer said he overheard Rebecca telling Zena, Dina is going to kill me. Zena made the 911 call around 10.30 a.m. Max was resuscitated at the hospital, then transferred to intensive care at a hospital in San Diego. Zena ended her trip early and flew home the next day. The same day, Adam Shackney flew in. Less than 24 hours later... Rebecca would be dead. Adam landed in San Diego on July 12th. Rebecca picked him up at the airport. Then they met Jonah for dinner near the hospital. After the meal, Jonah returned to Max's bedside and Adam and Rebecca went back to the mansion alone. At the house, Adam says he tried to comfort Rebecca by saying something like, I know a thing or two about grief since my mother died. If there's something you want to talk about or whatever... I'm around. Then he testified he wished her good night, went to his room at the guest house, called his girlfriend, took an Ambien, and went to sleep around 8 o'clock. Back in the main house, cell phone records show that from 8 to 10 p.m., Rebecca was texting and calling her sister Mary. According to Mary, Rebecca was tired and worried about Max, but mostly she sounded like herself. She was not threatening to kill herself, just the opposite. The sisters made tentative plans for a visit in September, and Rebecca said she'd call her the next day. At 9.41 p.m., Nina, Max's aunt, sent this text. Are you awake? I was hoping to stop by, but Rebecca never replied, so Nina went over there. She was staying at her sister's mansion nearby, so she walked over to see if Rebecca would answer the door. She said she just wanted to see where Max was found so she could understand what happened better. The Spreckles mansion was only five minutes away, which would have put her there around 10 p.m. She said the house was dark except for one window, a second-story guest room. The bedroom Rebecca would be found hanging from the next morning. The room was on the other side of the house from the primary bedroom where she and Jonah slept. At 12.20 a.m., Jonah called and left Rebecca a voicemail telling her that if Max lived, he probably wouldn't walk or talk again. He asked her to call him back, but she never did. Phone records show someone listened to that voicemail for two minutes at 12.50 a.m., then deleted it. If the medical examiner is right about her time of death, two hours after that voicemail was deleted, Rebecca took her last breath. Let's go back to where we started, to the horrific scene at the mansion on the morning of July 13th, 2011. But this time, you need to hear more about the bizarre circumstances. When paramedics got there, Rebecca's hands were bound behind her back with a red rope in a sort of figure eight pattern and tied off with a clove hitch knot. Her feet were bound the same way. The knot tying the end of the rope to the bed leg in the guest room was tied off with what experts call an eye splice. All these knots can be used in boating, except Adam claims he doesn't use any special knots in his job as a tugboat captain. Upstairs in the guest room, a strange message was scrawled on the door in black paint. She saved him. Can you save her? At the time, Max was stable thanks to the CPR Rebecca performed on him after his fall. You could take that to mean Rebecca is the she in she saved him, but would she really refer to herself in the third person? Then there was the placement of the words. It was sort of higher up on the door, but Rebecca was only about five foot three inches. You also have to hear a little bit more about that black paint. Rebecca was an amateur painter, so there was paint and brushes in the house, but the way the message was painted on the door was messy and just plain weird, and the handwriting didn't seem to match hers. Her thumbprint was found on the cap of a tube of black paint, but since she used the paint before that night, that's not surprising. What is surprising is that some black paint was also found on her right hand, left breast, right nipple, right upper chest, 
right upper index finger and neck. Some paint was also on parts of the rope. Footprints consistent with her bound feet were found in the dirt on the balcony outside the room. A boot print was also found, then later reported that it belonged to an investigating officer. But another expert claimed a second shoe print is visible on top of her footprints. Here's another very strange fact for you. It was Rebecca's time of the month. Drops of blood were found in her bedroom shower and outside the guest room. And wait until you hear this. Menstrual blood coated all four sides of the handle of a steak knife found in the guest room. The only way that could have happened is if the knife handle had been inside Rebecca, but there were no fingerprints found on it, except it wasn't the only knife in the room. There was a second larger knife. Her fingerprints were found on that blade. DNA from at least two people were also found on that knife, but the sample provided an insufficient amount of information for conclusions or comparisons. On the computer in the guest house, there were more than a dozen searches for terms like raped sexy Asian girls and bondage anime. But you know what they didn't find? There were no searches for information about hanging yourself or how to tie the elaborate knots found at the scene. If you ask the San Diego Sheriff's Department, all the evidence you just heard points to one scenario. Rebecca stripped off all her clothes, then used her black paint to write her last words on the guest room door. Then she touched her own breasts with her stained fingers and did God knows what with the handle of that steak knife. When she was ready to go, she crafted a noose and gag around her neck and mouth, bound her ankles together, then somehow managed to tie her hands together behind her back before hopping over to the balcony where she leaned over the railing until she fell to her death. Hard to believe, isn't it? Especially since no female has ever committed suicide like that. Naked, while she's on her period no less, and gagged with her hands tied behind her back? Boggles the mind. Then there's the hanging itself. The Dr. Phil show hired its own experts to do some testing. The distance between the balcony and the ground is nine feet. They concluded that if she really did propel herself over the railing on her own, the force of gravity at that height would have almost decapitated her, and the bed the rope was tied to would have been pulled much farther out of position. As it was, it had only been pulled about seven inches. But if she was strangled first, then lowered off the balcony, that would explain how she was found. At trial, Dr. Cyril Wecht, one of the leading experts in forensic pathology, testified that Rebecca had sticky tape residue on her legs. She also had four injuries to the side of her head, the type of injuries that would have knocked her out, and she got them while she was still alive, which leads us to the neighbor. Just two houses down from the Speckles mansion, a woman heard a female screaming, help me, help me, around 11.30 p.m. on July 12th. She was watching TV with the window open when she heard the yelling. She was about to call 911 when the scream suddenly stopped. So why, when faced with all this evidence to the contrary, would the cops call this a suicide? Because there weren't any other prints or DNA at the scene, not even where you'd expect there to be other fingerprints and DNA, almost as if someone wiped it clean. Adam Shackney's DNA wasn't found anywhere on Rebecca's body, even though Adam told 911 he was giving Rebecca CPR. But even if his DNA had been found on her, even if it was semen, that's okay, because he already told police 
he masturbated that morning. Which brings us to her family's theory. Adam violated Rebecca with the handle of the steak knife, then strangled her and staged it to look like an honor suicide to atone for Max's accident. Except Rebecca was raised a Christian. She would not have chosen suicide. Her family doesn't believe for one second that she would have taken her own life. This is a good place to go back to six-year-old Max. I told you, there were two mysteries here. On July 16th, Max died at the hospital, and his family thinks there's something fishy about his accident. Investigators said the boy was probably riding his scooter in the upstairs hallway when he fell over the banister to the floor below, grabbing the chandelier on his way down. Maybe he tripped over the dog or one of the soccer balls. The deputy medical examiner said Max fell face first, breaking bones in his face and injuring his spinal cord, except that type of injury would have made it impossible for him to say ocean like Rebecca said he did. When a private investigator dug further into the sheriff's theory, they pointed out that the second floor was covered with thick carpet. So how would Max ride his scooter there? And if somehow he did trip into the railing, how did he flip over it? He was too short. They also pointed out that Max didn't have any cuts on his hands from an alleged crash into the chandelier. Instead, they believe a more realistic explanation is that he was assaulted near the banister on the second floor, then was pushed over the rail to the bottom. The sheriff officially called it an accident and Rebecca's death a suicide. We never know what actually happened to either of them, but not for a lack of trying. In July 2013, the Zahau family filed a $10 million wrongful death civil suit naming Adam Shacknai, Dina, and her sister Nina as co-conspirators, but that was quickly narrowed down to just Adam. Security video proved that Jonah, Dina, and Nina were all at the hospital during Rebecca's time of death. In April 2018, a jury agreed with her family, and they took a look at the evidence you just heard and decided that Adam Shacknai was responsible for Rebecca's death. In February 2019, his insurance company paid out a $600,000 settlement, but Adam has always maintained his innocence. After the verdict, a reporter asked him if he killed her, and he said, hell no, I wouldn't effing waste my time killing Rebecca Zahau. What a guy. After the jury's decision, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department reopened the investigation, but once again determined that Rebecca Zahau committed suicide. But what do you think? What happened at that mansion in July 2011? And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time. Take care.